get a little closer to y'all. Some of the front seats are a little bit empty. So, which is all right, you know, because, you know, if you're closer, you have a better chance of hitting me, you know, if I say something you don't like, and you never know, that might happen. For those of you who don't know, I am Paul. I am the adult ministries pastor, or as some like to refer to me, the wandering pastor, okay? Don't like to sit down. Desks are a bad, bad thing for me, okay? My students know that. Um, and... Uh, I get to preach. And I'll be honest with you. I was given this topic, I don't know, a week or two ago. And when I actually started working on it this week, or last night, or whenever, um, <laughs> pastor texted me last night, good luck on your sermon, I'll be praying for you. I said, oh yeah, I better go do that. Um, it was only 11, come on. He gave me this topic. And Anybody who's ever done any kind of speaking or preaching, the expected topics are always the hardest ones. Those are the ones you're just kind of like, Christmas? Yeah, know the story, but you got to present it in a new and interesting way, and you're just like, oh, yippee. It's hard. Today we're talking about being connected. About how you can be connected to the people around you that literally are around you right now and how you can make those connections, and how we can be connected to God. And I was really kind of struggling with it. And I even came here this morning, and I was talking to the, the elders that were praying with me. I was just not in the groove. And I realized my focus was in the wrong place. You see, when I was young, we used to go sailing, and as some have told some of you this story, we were in a storm, and I was having a great old time. Boat was going up and down, and you know, there were other boats that were sinking, but I was a young teen, I was like, I know, probably in junior high, and I was having a great time. My dad was driving, it was all good. Why was I having such a great time? Because my father was in charge. All of a sudden, something happened, and he had to, I had to take the wheel, and I had to steer myself. Guess what happened? It wasn't so fun anymore. I thought we were going to do the Titanic impression. I realized when we were singing, it's not me in charge. It's my father. He has the wheel. You're going to hear some things today, and you're going to be like, I don't know. You're going to hear some things about the direction that the church is taking. And you're going to be like, oh, I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm all right with that. That's cool. Remember who's in charge. We're following our Father, trying to do His will. As we get connected. This sermon's going to be a little different because if you're taking notes, no, I don't do PowerPoints, sorry. Those of you who don't know, I am a teacher and I have to teach with PowerPoints every day during the school year, and uh, I like to preach without them. Is that all right? You guys handle that? So, and if you're taking notes, good luck. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. But point one, if you are taking notes, of being, being connected to God, being connected to our Father. And that's a very important thing. You see there, this is our new kind of logo, our theme for the next few months. 
six months, something like that, is get connected to the power source. And you're going to see this over and over and over. Why? Because we want you to be connected. The problem is, in so many churches today, so many people are not connected, and they don't understand why. Well, step number one is you have to ask the question, are you connected to God? And that's going to require a little bit of honesty. Story I came across this week was the story of a name of a uh, Scottish evangelist named John Harper. He was a passenger on the Titanic, so you kind of already know how this is going to go, okay? But he was an evangelist, and he was going to Moody to take over their, uh, to Moody Church, and uh, he had been appointed pastor there. He just had his daughter. Her name was Nana, and uh, his wife had died a few years before. And obviously, things went bad pretty quick in a hurry. And what's interesting is what he went through the ship. He took his daughter, and he put her on a lifeboat, and then he went through the ship, and he said, women and children and unsaved into the lifeboats. You don't hear that very often, do you? In a fire. Maybe that should be the mantra in the church. Unsaved people, out first. Because he knew. He realized something in this moment that there were unsaved people. When, it, when the boat finally had gone down, he had given up his life vest to somebody. Whoa. Talk about giving up something to so, to, so that somebody can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. The one, one later, one survivor recalls hearing him witness to anybody who would listen as he was swimming around, slowly freezing to death. And he came to him, the guy was kind of clinging to a piece of wood, and he said, are you saved? And the guy looked in his own heart, said, um, no, I'm not. And you know what the gospel message was? It was a 12-point sermon right there. No. What did he say to him? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And he swam off. It's not us who's doing the saving, it's who? Him. I love that. He swims back around for a second pass, and says, are you saved now? The guy says, no, I, I, honestly, I, I, I honestly say that I am not, no. What did he say to him? Another 12-point sermon, given him all the reasons. He says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Later, He obviously died. But in a public meeting, a little bit later, this man recounted saying, there alone in the night and with two miles of water under me, 
I believed. I am John Harper's last convert. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. How awesome is it that we get to preach the message of Jesus Christ? We have stopped doing it as a whole in the church today of America. There are many churches where the gospel of Jesus Christ is never heard, where they preach a message that is pleasing to the ears, makes people feel good as they walk out the door. It is not working, folks. People are seeing through it. The young people are seeing through it, the 20s and the 30s, and they're walking away from the church en masse. I've heard numbers from 60% to 80% of them are leaving the church. Why? Because we have lost our message. We are not telling them how they can be connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not telling them about the cost of being connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to make believe that it's going to be all happy and lucky charms with the marshmallows. It isn't, is it? It's more like those healthy things that are like cardboard. Love those kind of cereals. We have lost our message, and we need to get it back. What I might be saying here is going to be uncomfortable for some of you because you know right now that you are not connected to him. You walk the walk, you talk the talk, but you have no idea what it means to be connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. You have no idea what it feels, the convicting of the Spirit, when you do something wrong. You have no idea of the heartbreak. You also have no idea of the joy when you hear that a single person is saved. But you're good at pretending. You know all the words that you might need to fit in here. I heard a Christian comedian's routine, and he basically was kind of talking about all the things that we say as Christians that have absolutely no meaning in our hearts. How many times have we said something like, I'll pray for you about that? And do you ever? That's like saying there's more fish in the ocean. It doesn't have a lot of meaning in it when you say it to the person that truly needs it. How do we tell people to be connected to God? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. First, you have to tell people of their need. They have to understand. We have to understand. I have to understand my need. Romans 3.23, if you want to turn with me, we're going, to be, we're going to be kind of moving and grooving through the Bible, the Pew Bible, or if you just want to listen. Romans 3.23, I know we're supposed to have ESV, and I'm sorry, Pastor, if you're listening, but I memorized this in King James Version. It's, I love it that way. I don't know about you, but when you hear Romans, I like to hear it in King James. I know that makes me kind of weird. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
Basically, we cannot make it to God on our own. It's funny that this is never something that you truly have to convince honest people of. We realize, people who are being honest with themselves, we realize our need for Jesus Christ, or we realize, I'm sorry, our sin and who we are. We realize that we haven't made it. I was saved early on. I was saved in about third, fourth grade. And it's funny that the closer I get to Christ, the further away I realize I am. Amen? Because I start to realize my sin. I start to realize how awful I truly am. For all have sinned. Might be for Paul has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all have. We could all put our names in there. We've done wrong. Romans 3.10 drives this point home when it says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And in Romans 5.12, it, it kind of piles on saying, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. You're going to minister to somebody. You're going to connect to them. You're going to talk to them. The first message, you, that is the first message you need to give to them. It is something that is not comfortable in society today, am I right? You're going to go sit across from them at Panera and say, you're a sinner. Wait, let me eat my bagel. It's hard, mainly because we live in a society where everything, everything, every form of sin is all right. You know the only thing that's not all right? Telling somebody that it is sin. We don't like that as a country. How dare you tell me I can't do something? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In Romans 6, 23, it tells us what that sin earns us. It says, for the wages of sin is what? Death. Not just dying. Eternal death. Eternal damnation and hell. Not a topic that we love to talk about. There is hell. We will all die. And we will stand before Jesus Christ. And he will say one of two things to us. Well done, thou good and faithful servant, or depart from me. I don't know you. That is that one point in time or out of time, whichever, that everybody will have to be at. The Bible says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But for some, it will be too late. They will realize too late their salvation was at hand. We should ache with that. We should hurt for these people that don't know him because they will stand in front of them, and they will realize who he is. They will realize their sin and realize that they never chose Jesus. They never believed in him. But it'll be too late. 
We keep going down this path of the Romans road. And it says in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God looked down and had mercy upon us and sent his only son to die on a cross. He came down, he lived that perfect life. And they put him on a, a wood beam. Believe it or not, as a world history teacher, I get to teach the life of Christ in a public school. It's awesome. And we talk about this. We talk about the fact that they nailed him on the cross and he died. And we Christians believe that he died for us in our sins. But he did not stay dead. He rose again. And that all we have to do to be saved tells us in Romans 10:9 that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is the simple gospel message. And there are people here that have never accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. They know when they reach that point and stand before Christ that right now he will say, I don't know you. I will challenge each and every one of you to examine your hearts and make sure you know what the Lord will be saying to you at that point. We'll come back to this point at the end of the sermon. Some of you are sitting here going, this is all well and good, I know how to do this, I can, you know, I can share the gospel with somebody. But do you understand the cost of following him? Do you understand what we're doing here? Turn with me real quick to Mark 8, verse 34. Mark 8, verse 34. I'm gonna speak to you that know the Lord. Mark 8.34 says, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. What does it profit the man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? We're going to talk about how you can be connected and the message that you have that can be used. But first thing you have to take is you have to realize that when he says, take up your cross and follow me, we in Christian world, we kind of look at the cross and sometimes we just see it as a decoration. Ladies and gentlemen, you need to see that as an instrument of torture. When we talk about crucifixion, we think of the ultimate salvation. Back then in this time, the time of Jesus, when you said crucifixion, people started sweating because people knew that that was the most horrible method of torture and way to die. 
We might equate this to take up your noose and follow me. Take up your electric chair and follow me. It is a horrible, horrible way to die. When he says, take up your cross, he's basically saying, let yourself go. We all have ways that we like church, don't we? And in the coming months, we're going to be asking you to make some changes. (gasps) I know, it's crazy. It all started a year or two ago. I'm trying to remember exactly. It's been so long, but it was pre-flood. Well, pre-our flood here. Um, <laughs> we decided on a reboot. And so what we went is we went and, and we redid all of our missional statements. Why? Because we realized we weren't having the impact in our society and in our church that we wanted to have. And so they started rebooting and reworking everything. And that's all good. Everybody's like, yeah, sure, we got some, you know, we've got some new mission statements, we've got all these things, and that's all awesome. But we're going to ask you to go a little bit further. We're going to ask you to change how we do Sunday school. We're going to ask you to change what you think about small groups. We're going to ask you to change how things have been done since time immemorial. (gasps) Get kind of crazy there, aren't we? Why? Because we like things the way that we have always had them. We like things the way we have always had them. Who wasn't in that sentence, by the way? Was God's will in that sentence anywhere? We like things the way we we have always had them. All of a sudden, who did it become about? Me. I like hymns. I sang hymns growing up. Anybody here sing hymns growing up? How about some of you? Who's the chorus people? The chorus people? Or the new modern music? That rock and roll music? (gasps) We know what we're comfortable with. We like what we're comfortable with. I like my lazy boy at home. It's awesome. I don't want to change it. Why? Because as I get older, I hate change. I've had these shoes forever. Why? They're falling apart, but they're comfortable, and I like them. Men, amen? The younger generation has no idea what I was just saying because we have four kids at home and we have 75,000 pairs of shoes. So I I don't understand that, but it's like they multiply. They're like rabbits. (laughs) You just, all those people laughing, those are the ones with teenagers right now. He said, to get back on topic, he said, take up your cross and follow me. Take up your death and follow me. Lose what we are, what we want, what we need, and follow him. That is very hard for us to do. But it leads us to the second one of being connected here. 
Hebrews 24 and 25. You can turn with me if you want, but you should know this one. It says, and let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit is of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. How many people grew up in a world where you are at church when the doors were open? Sometimes three or four times a week. Anybody? I was there. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and there was all kinds of other things that you were there for. Nowadays, we are lucky to get a person one out of three. And it gets worse as you go down in the generations, as you get younger. The Bible is pretty specific here. What does it say? It says, consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. Because if you aren't there, how can you help somebody else? How can you serve somebody else? I love how it says here, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Look around at the people around you. Go ahead. They're not that scary. It's all right, they won't bite you. It says, let us consider how to stir each other. Sometimes I take that as to mix the pot and aggravate people, like in staff meetings, you know. Whoa. Um, But that's not what he's talking about. To stir up another, to get people excited about doing the right thing, to help others through that time. How many times do we see in this book where it talks about us being in service to other people. Christ kind of started it with the whole foot washing thing, didn't he? He set that tone because it's not about who? Me, it's about others, about my service to them. My expression of my faith is shown in how I react to the people around me. So that leads us to the very uncomfortable point. My son, both of my sons, played football. Played, I'm kind of sad. Past tense. Well, actually, almost all three of my sons, but we won't go there, that's a whole other story. Um, And we used to go and bundle up, you know, and Clyde's was and us out there in the 25 degree below weather, you know, bundle. And I had this awesome thing that my kids bought for me. And it's a seat, a padded seat. And that's cool because, you know, those benches are hard. But you take the thing out inside of it and you stick it in the microwave and you warm it up. It's awesome. It's so cool. Um, and you take it with you, and you put it on the seat, and you sit on it, and you're all warm. And they're a wonderful thing. But the question that I'm going to ask you here is, are you more than one of those? Are you more than a pew warmer? 
And this is one that's going to hurt, folks. So if you have problems or complaints, remember my email is mike at cbcsuecity.org. <laughs> or my other email, brad at cbcsuecity. Yeah. <laughs> you knew it was going to work that in somehow. Um, are you more than a pew warmer? Are you more involved than that? Are you more connected to that? The pews are all right. They really don't need to be warmed. But the people around you, look at them. They need you. You need each other. Do you realize God gave you gifts that they need? And if you don't use your gift, if you sneak in and you sneak out and you're never involved and you're never connected, you're depriving everybody else of the gift that you have. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, it says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And we were all made to drink one spirit, for the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not make it any less part of the body. And if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? We skip down to verse 27. It says, now if you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, miracles and gifts of healing, helping, administration, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? He's pretty specific that we have all been given, we've been appointed to do something here in a way to minister to that person that is sitting next to you. And that's a hard thing because all of a sudden, their spiritual well-being becomes your business. Oh, that's hard. I'm not talking Facebook friends where you give them the thumbs up because you like their picture. But Paul, that's encouraging people. I really don't think that's what the Lord had in mind. Just saying. I would talk about some of the other things, but I really don't understand them all that well, so I barely get Facebook. Um, but you are more than a pew warmer. You have a job, and if you aren't doing that job, then the church as a whole is lacking because of it. Early on in my ministry, I was driving home from a ski trip and one of my leaders was talking to me and she says, I'm leading a, a women's small group. She goes, I really don't like it. I said, why do you do it? You know what her answer was to me? Because God asked me to. He gave me the gift to do it and he asked that I do it. And early on in my ministry, do you know how much that affected me? 
because there are things that we are asked to do that we may not like to do. We want to stay in our bubble. We don't want to have to minister to somebody else because that might be uncomfortable. We're not good with that. And it's hard. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I'm not great with people. Mike says my gift, what is it, my spiritual gift is, my, no, my love language is sarcasm. <laughs> it's true. I don't do well with people a lot of times. You would think with my jobs, well, I deal with junior hires, so yeah, that just fits in perfect. But I have jobs where I deal with people. Guys, I'd be happy if I could stay in my garage and build things. I love that. That's awesome. But that's not what God told me to do, is it? He wants me to be here doing his work, ministering to others. What do we get out of this? And what do we give other people out of this? There's 10 things, and I honestly, I don't have time to go through them all. You email me, and I will send you those 10 things that you're gonna get out of this, but to let you know, and I'll talk about the verses behind it, but in John, it tells us that we're gonna get love. In Romans 12:10, it says we're gonna get devotion and honor. In Romans 12, 16, it says that we will be able to live in harmony. In Romans 5, 7, it tells us that we will live in an environment that is judgment-free. In Romans 15, 14, it tells us that we will be instructed. In 1 Corinthians 1, 10, it tells us that we will be in agreement with our brothers. In Galatians 5, 13, it talks about the fact that we will be able to serve one another. In Ephesians 4.32, it'll tell us that we will receive kindness and be able to give it and receive forgiveness and encouragement. Now to get down to the hard part of the sermon. The changes, the things that we are going to be changing. We're going to be changing Sunday school and how it works because we took an honest look at Sunday school and we realized that it was working great for everybody that was 45 and up. I'm talking actual age, not what you want to be, okay? It wasn't working. They were, for the most part, absent. For those of us 45 and up, it worked great. But we weren't reaching the next generation. We weren't training them. They didn't want to break in. They didn't want to go into these classes. And so we started talking with them. What would speak to you? What would work for you? How could we minister to your generation? Because guys, they're the next ones. And right now, we're missing it as a whole. I'm talking church body. I'm talking Christianity as a whole. We are leaving this generation behind. And we found out that they wanted something because this is the you know, generation of Google. They wanted what they wanted and they wanted to go get it. 
and then leave, like an academic kind of environment. And so we started, we thought, hey, what if we, what if we had electives? Because we've done that before. What if we had four electives every quarter, four different teachers every quarter, on four different topics? We thought that might be a great way to get people connected to God's Word. And it's going to involve some change, because some of you, I've got people in here that you've been in your Sunday school class longer than I've been alive. <laughs> you laugh, but you know it's true. Or at least some of you who don't have memories that long. Um, you know. But you've been in your Sunday school forever, and we're asking you to make a change. We're asking you to take what you want and set it aside to reach a younger generation. I will never forget a conversation I was having with some of our more mature Christians. And we were talking about, and you know the topic's going to come up, we're going to talk about hymns. And believe me, I love hymns. But this wonderful lady said to me, I don't really like the new music. I didn't like the new music, I think was how she put it but I realized that was what would reach my grandchildren. And so I made myself listen to it. And I started enjoying it. But she said, well, when I go home, though, I still play my Gaither, you know, Gaither band, of course. <laughs> but I started enjoying it. And I'll tell you, that warmed my heart and my soul more than anything I've ever heard. Because she got it. She understood that when we talk about service, when we talk about denying yourself, that's part and parcel of it. Not what I want, but what he wants. We're also going to have a very big push to get you involved in small groups. And I'm going to leave you with a challenge of sorts before I close this up. In the next month, you're going to see coming a challenge. And I'm going to be challenging you to be a small group leader. Our goal here in the next 10 years is to get 60% of you in a small group. I personally don't think we need that long. I want to see it happen in two. And so I'm going to be asking you. I'm going to be walking around with a clipboard, something the elders now know and fear. They see me with a clipboard and they run. <laughs> I think they call each other. Paul has a clipboard. Watch out. Don't go into the atrium. Because yeah, I'm always trying to get them to sign up for something. And I'm going to be challenging you to be a small group leader. It's going to require some training from you. And it's going to require a time commitment from you. But folks, everything we've talked about today is going to be put in action in these small groups. You're going to have opportunities to lead people to Jesus Christ. They're going to sit afterwards and they're going to say, hey, you said something and it kind of touched my heart. And they're going to sit at your kitchen table and you're going to have opportunities to lead them to Jesus. Is there anything better than that? No. You're going to have opportunities to reach people that are hurting. You're going to build friendships and bonds and you're going to be so connected together. 
that when one has a problem, the other will surround them. And we have a number of small groups like that, and I hear about it all the time. And I'm going to be challenging you to build that group. It's going to require a lot from you. The next month after that, I'm going to be challenging the rest of you to get in those groups that we've made and be connected. Because everything we've talked about here is going to be implied and is going to be focused and is going to be put in those groups. We started with a gospel message. And it's kind of fitting that we end with that. Because God, in all this, the number one priority is that we are connected to his son. That is what God wants from us, to be connected to Jesus. And one of my favorite verses that I hold on to when things go bad, therefore, Romans 10, 13, Therefore, any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. If you do not know Jesus Christ, we, the staff, we, the elders, we, the people of the church, would be so honored to share Christ with you and tell you how you today can know that you are one of his children. For the rest of you, Hold on to this. You, today, are a new creature. You're not what you were yesterday. Do you realize that? And that's gonna require some changes because if you're gonna become new, you're gonna have to do something new. Let's mix things up. Let's change things because we want people to know Christ. Let that always be our goal. Let's pray.